All right, welcome to a new episode of the Scout with Brian podcast. Honor, huge honor to be joined today by someone I got to be a student manager for for a couple of years, the Hall of Fame coach, Gary Williams, former longtime head coach at the University of Maryland, winner of the 2002 NCAA championship. Coach, how are you today? Brian, I'm good. Uh, good talking with you again, and uh, you know, I hope you're doing well. Appreciate that. So let's let's update the people a little bit first. Uh, how has retirement been been treating you? I know you've you know done some uh, analysis work. You've had a position in the Maryland Athletic Department, but what have you been up to basically since you uh, left the coaching profession around ten years ago? Well, I I do some clinics uh, with basketball and um, <clears throat> you know radio, a little bit of television. So keeps you busy uh, trying to raise some money for the University of Maryland. Uh, especially the athletic department, and uh, you know it's 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 been fun. You know, I coached for I guess forty four years total, and so it's, it's been fun. You know, doing some other things. Sure. Yeah. So you know, when you retired, obviously mid sixties, you had a Hall of Fame career, but but you did catch you know some people definitely by by surprise that probably thought you'd you'd coach for the rest of your life. Did did you ever have you know any regrets or any itch to? To ever get back into it, or are you totally at, at peace with uh, the timing of it all? Well, just watching things. I mean, I could have coached um, probably, you know, two, three more years for sure. But uh, at the same time, I'd rather leave too early than too late. You know, I've seen too many coaches hang on, and, you know, it's not good the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you're coaching, you put everything into it. and you know, I have grandkids and things like that, and it, it's really tough to uh, try try to be normal, you know, w- when you're coaching because it's so intense and it's a 12 month a year job now, and and so I don't regret it. I do miss practice. That that was always my favorite part of the job, and of course, the feeling you get walking into a big game uh, when it's you know really important and you're playing somebody that's nationally ranked or whatever. That's that's always uh, a big rush that I'm not sure you can get that anywhere else. Sure. Did, did any schools ever try, uh, you know, reaching out to you, seeing if they could possibly lure you out of retirement or have they pretty much respected that? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, you hit 67 or whatever schools start looking at you is they'd rather have somebody a little younger to, especially if you're going to do a program where you have to uh, really get it going again. And uh, so, you know, there's been a couple, but, nothing really serious. So, you know, I understand that. And, and, uh, I'm just, you know, glad I got to coach where I did. Uh, I got a chance to coach in the ACC, the big East and the big 10 and the, um, um, you know, so all, all that is, uh, you know, really good. And, you know, you meet so many people along the way and they're still your friends and, you know, it's fun watching coaches that you know very well, especially this time of year to see how they do. And, uh, so you stay with the game, um, which is the great part. You know, once you've been a part of it, just because you're not coaching anymore, that doesn't mean you're not part of the game. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, your coaching career, obviously, a, a pretty remarkable path that we don't see anymore. You know, you were a successful high school coach. You know, you work your way up as an assistant in the college ranks while also, I believe, simultaneously serving at times as a soccer coach. You know what do you what do you remember about those years and and how wild was that experience uh, in hindsight? I was one of the all time great soccer coaches, <laughs> Lafayette College. No, uh, 
It's it's funny. Um, the, the great thing about coaching soccer there at Lafayette, I was assistant to a great basketball coach, Tom Davidson. The only way to get into uh, college coaching for me was to go to Lafayette with Tom because I didn't know anybody else or uh, I doubt if I would have ever gotten a job in college. And uh, the problem was they never had a full-time assistant basketball coach and the soccer coach left. So the money they paid the soccer coach, um, that was my pay for being the assistant basketball coach and soccer coach. So that was great. And, you know, the, the one thing about being a soccer coach, you, you were still a head coach. You were making the same decisions in a different sport. So it kept you as a head coach during that time. And I learned a lot uh, while I was coaching soccer. But, you know, I, I think the experience of coaching in high school was really important because I got to know people. I mean, in high school where I was coaching, you had to make sure players got something to eat, things like that. And uh, it wasn't always, um, you know, you really had to scrape to get through uh, seasons sometimes. And, you know, some of the players, uh, you know, they, they, they really had great potential and, you know, you were trying to maximize that and all those things. So you learned a lot there. And then, you know, b- being able to coach at American U uh, to get a start in coaching was great because I was 32 years old when I first got my head coaching job. And, you know, that even then that was pretty young to get a job. So um, uh, I was very fortunate early on in my career to uh, be around good people. Sure. I, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of the – TV show Ted Lasso, but certainly, uh, you know, you coaching soccer, I'm sure was a bit out of your wheelhouse. Did you have to kind of, you know, try to learn the game? Did you know yeah. it a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I, I read a book. That's what I did to learn the game. Uh, but soccer, soccer is a great game. I mean, uh, the thing you, you get from soccer is you really appreciate spacing because the field's so big uh, and there's a lot of room where you can, you know, put the ball into areas where the player can go and react to the ball. And it's, you learn that you learn that and that's really important in basketball in passing to the post. A lot of times you don't pass the ball directly inside, but you pass it to an open area where the receiver can go get it. I really got that from soccer. I really, really saw that. And it really helped uh, when you had a great inside player because they would be, you know, played so tough that if you could throw the ball to an area, they, they would go to that, that really helped. And, you know, guys like Chris Wilcox or Lonnie Baxter, um, you know, people like that certainly benefited uh, from my coaching soccer. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned Lonnie, obviously, you know, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake are some of the most memorable guys you coached in Maryland, the focal point of your championship team. But the remarkable part, really, for those guys, you know, they weren't five star recruits, they weren't McDonald's All Americans. And, you know, that goes for a lot of the guys you coached to incredible success, like Gravis Vasquez. What do you think was it about your, your personality and your coaching style that, let you get the most out of those guys maybe that had a had a chip on their shoulder? Well, you know, back then it was probably a little easier to keep guys for uh, uh, four years. Certainly it wasn't as easy to transfer as it is now, which is, I think it's going to be chaotic in the next year or so mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of college basketball coaches. And uh, But with those guys, you know, part of the recruiting process, we wanted the guys that would come in and work hard because – I, I was in my best coaching when I had guys that were willing to come every day and try to get better. And that was, as you know, from uh, being there for a couple of years, that was always our theme was to try to get better every day. And, you know, guys willing to put in the work, put in the time, um, you know, got better to the level where they could play in the NBA. And I always felt if I had a junior 
that have worked really hard. He was a good player coming out of high school, maybe not a McDonald's All-American or whatever. But if, as juniors and seniors, we get a chance to play against freshman McDonald's All-American, we'd have an edge because of our experience and because of the fact that we, we learned how to work really hard. So when it got tough in games, we were able to really come back a lot of times. We, we never you know thought we were going to lose uh, in various games. So I, I think that work ethic, uh, that, that's a big part of coaching is to put that in. And you see some great talent now, you know, guys that are you know, really skilled beyond their years, but they still have to learn how to work really hard all the time and, and still try to get better, even though they are really good. So uh, that's, that was the basis for our recruiting is to get good enough to players to play in the ACC or whatever, but at the same time, get guys who are willing to get better. Yeah, no, you see even in the NBA, I mean, you know, Pascal Siakam's a late first-round pick. Jokic is a second-round pick. Fred Van Vliet's undrafted. You know, in your mind, is that a big part of kind of the beauty of basketball, that, that nobody cares what rank you are, what draft pick you are, that, you know, work ethic can overcome so much and, and help so many guys end up having, you know, great careers in the sport? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if you can motivate people, then, uh, in whatever the profession, whether it's coaching or whatever, then you have an advantage. And, you know, I always took a lot of pride in that, the ability to motivate. And, and sometimes it's not pretty. You know, you, you have to do things, say things that you, you might not normally do. But at the same time, having guys come back 10 years after they're done playing or whatever, that, that was certainly satisfying to see a Steve Blake play 13 years and Chris Wilcox play 11 years in the NBA and, you know, guys like Gravis Vaquez, you, you, you look at his story, that, that's almost a movie coming from Venezuela and being able to play in the NBA for six years before his ankle just, you know, there, there was nothing left to his ankle. He had, he had to stop playing, but um, it, it was just great to see. And that's, that's the rewards you get from coaching. It's, it, obviously, you have to win and the wins are great, but um, watching players as time goes by certainly is rewarding also. Sure. Uh, you know, recruiting in general, obviously, <laughs> kind of the, a little bit of the dirty underbelly of, of the sport. Um, you know, I know you've uh, had some issues definitely with it that you've, you've touched on that you didn't like about the way things went. You know, looking back now, do you think, would you have recruited any differently? Would you have had to recruit any differently? You know, was that kind of your, your least favorite part about, about the game today? Or what kind of are your thoughts on, uh, on recruiting today? No, there's there's some great people out there involved in recruiting. Certainly, high school coaches that don't make much money, and you know they spend a lot of time with their teams. And there there are summer coaches that you know really take care of players, really work hard to make sure uh, that they get something to eat in some cases, and you know are, are doing well in the classroom. So you know that part's good. And then then there's obviously, and you know just look at the investigations that are going on now. And, you know, you, you, if if there's those investigations, then there's a lot of things going on also in addition to them. So um, I guess like any profession, there's always some negative things. And, um, that That's a shame for college basketball because it really isn't necessary. Um, I always felt that uh, we were going to play it straight. Uh, basketball meant too much to me. It got me an education in Maryland and things like that. And I wasn't going to do anything to uh, hurt the game. And, you know, I, I just wish coaches, you know, the, the, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, uh, one, of the, one of their mottos is they're guardians of the game. Well, 
you know, I think sometimes the, the coaching profession has to look at each other and make sure they are the guardians of the game. And, you know, the, the pressure to win is so great, uh, especially at the bigger schools. Um, it's very easy to slip into doing some things that uh, probably are not above board. But at the same time, it really hurts the game when you see big name schools, big name coaches involved in uh, the ongoing uh, investigations of the NCAA. Sure. And, you know, you, you obviously mentioned the the transfer portal and how chaotic, uh, you know, that's about to, to make things, it, you know, I, I guess there's a, there's a million different things you could potentially, you know, improve with the NCAA. But if you were in charge of it today, what are maybe the one or two things that, that you think are the most, most pressing issues or the biggest things that, that they need to do to fix either, you know, the one and dones, the transfers, the idea of paying players, where do you think you would possibly start? hypothetically well uh you know as far as paying players go i i i think the, the direction a lot of people see uh is these you know the, the best players say the top 50 coming out well sure they can probably get a likeness thing going on and maybe there are some other players in smaller towns that, that could get that but they're not competing against professional athletes or, or whatever for uh, sponsors attention but you know, that opens up a can of worms because I think some schools certainly would put together a group that would put together a pool of money uh, and they'd start bidding against the other four schools or whatever that they narrow it down to. So, you know, that's just going to be another area where you're going to have to watch very closely. Um, the, the, the thing that the people that should be taken care of, I, I mean, most college teams, if they have one guy that might make the NBA, that's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. The 11 other guys on scholarship, they're the guys that need the education and have to, you know, get through school and get a degree. And, you know, anything to take care of them um, is, is certainly uh, the NCAA could afford to do something for those guys. Now, most schools in the uh, power conferences, say the top 75, 80 schools, they have a cost of attendance thing now where a player might get a check for $6,000. It's not taxable at the start of the school year. And that is legal uh, with the NCAA. So it's the scholarship is not as bad as people think it is. They Nowadays, that's changed the last five years. They get all the food they want, whether it's after practice, three meals a day, late at night. They get as much food as they can eat. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the level of strength training, uh, the tutoring. They get the best tutoring on campus, things like that, that are there to take advantage of. So it's it's not a bad thing, but some kids definitely need more than that to survive in college. And they're the kids that when we talk about it, we shouldn't be talking about the Zion Williams of the world. We should be talking about those kids. You know, how can we improve their situation? Sure. Uh, I know you're not, you know, you're not on Twitter as much as I am. You probably don't pay a, a whole, you know, whole lot of attention to the discourse of the general public. But one of the things I've always found most comical is, you know, I don't know if you've seen in the last few years, there's been a movement of people, uh, you know, attacking coaches, legends like Tom Izzo for basically yelling at a player. <laughs> How soft, you know, is the general public and the media today to, well, to not to not understand uh, things like that? Tom, Tom's a good friend. And, I, you know, we had some battles. And I really respect him, what he's done. And you listen to people like Magic Johnson, Draymond Green, you know, they – they say nothing but good things about Tom Izzo because they've been through it. 
and they know what Tom Izzo did for them in terms of motivating them. And maybe maybe it looks bad. You know, it looked bad uh, in that situation where he grabbed the back of the player's shirt. But that's just in the heat of battle. That that used to be my, my coach in college. He'd grab you in practice, you know, and just pull you to where you're supposed to be on defense and things like that in practice. And, you know, so, you know, the country's changed a little bit. Uh, you know, everybody's watching everybody to make sure, trying to be perfect. You know, nobody's allowed to have any imperfections. So, you know, nobody's done a better job over the years than Tom Izzo has at Michigan State. And, you know, it's kind of sad that people uh, are so ready to jump on one incident rather than all the kids that have come through the Michigan State program that are, you know, have been so successful in life and not just the NBA. Yeah, you obviously, like you said, you know, we're, we're pretty intense yourself. But in my experience, you know, certainly two years with you, it, it never went too far. It never became physical. You know, like you said, maybe there's a few things you would have uh, reworded maybe, but that's about it. You know, do you have any regrets, I guess, about, about how you coach guys? Do you, do you ever think about, you know, what the reaction would have been like coaching today, like it is for Tom when the cameras catch every single well, little thing? You know, things change. Um, you know, the, the, you know, when, when, like I said, when I played, it was completely different than when I coached. And, and, and so now today it's, um, you know, the, the young people look at things as, um, you know, you, 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 you can't be too harsh on anybody to motivate it. It's, and players today, um, you have to be careful as a coach because obviously the new transfer rules and the transfer portal and the fact that it looks like they're going to be able to play right away one time during their college career if they transfer. I mean, there's going to be 1,500 kids in that transfer portal in college basketball by the summertime. So, any any time a, play, a coach yells at a player, nowadays there's people in his ear saying, "Hey, you don't have to put up with that. You can go somewhere else." What players don't understand, if they do go somewhere else, that coach is probably going to do the same thing in practice. And you know, so what did you gain by transferring? And you know, it's just kind of sad to see when a player works hard for three years and a coach works hard, and all of a sudden the guy gets pretty good, and because of that. You know, he, he is going to look to go where he thinks it's a better situation. And what's going to happen, what's really going to get hurt is the mid-majors because I just saw, you know, some players from mid-majors go to the high-major schools. And, you know, that just destroys a mid-major program when they lose a very good player like that. And I think you're going to see more of that now uh, with the transfer situation. Sure. I, I know you have a, you know, current position in the Maryland Athletic Department. I won't ask you to get too deep in, into them, but generally speaking, you know, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the, on the current state of the Maryland basketball program and, and the job, you know, that the coach Turgeon's done, um, succeeding you? Well, this year's, uh, so completely different than in any year. There's no handbook on how to deal with this, uh, COVID virus and how that affected coaching. And, and the one thing I think you're seeing in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament, there, there's, it was so uneven this year. In other words, a, a Michigan had to shut down completely for a period of time. Some schools got to play all their games. Some didn't get to play five or six games. Uh, there wasn't much going on in December this year uh, in terms of competition. And that's where you're really trying to get better as a team in December. Uh, you, you play some games where you, you find out you're, you're not good enough in rebounding or a certain area. And, you know, there, there are things you can work on. So, 
you know, a team like Baylor, they, you know, when they shut down, when they came back, they weren't nearly as good. Now they've played themselves back into where they were playing, I think, before uh, the COVID hit their program. So it's been highly unusual. So no, nobody should be judged, you know, based on what they did this year. I, I really disagree. And it looks like a lot of people are being judged mm-hmm. on what they did this year. But, you know, Maryland's a basketball school. You know, it's always been a basketball school, starting with Left Rudy Zell in 1970. You know, he had some great teams and players. And, you know, we had our share. And, you know, I, I want that to continue as a Maryland <clears throat> graduate, uh, former basketball player. You know, that's very important to me that uh, we're really good. And, you know, I, I think uh, they got caught a little small this year. They did a good job of adjusting as the year went on. Uh, and, you uh, you know, hopefully they get a big guy in next year and all those guys that can come back can come will come back because the NCAA has granted another year to the seniors or whatever. Plus, you know, hopefully nobody will transfer. So, you know, we'll go from there and see see where we are. Mm-hmm. I know you were close with, with Coach Izzo, like you said, with, with Mark Few. What other coaches, you know, do, do you uh, stay in touch with the most today? Which other coaches do you still have a, a pretty strong relationship with? Well, uh, Rick Barnes is my assistant at Ohio State for a year. Uh, still stay in touch with him. Um, you know, uh, Roy Williams, um, now that we don't compete against each other, uh, we're, we're pretty close. Uh, and, um, you know, Fran Dunphy, who recently retired from Temple, was my assistant at American U. So, you know, over the years, uh, Fran and I have uh, stayed in pretty close contact. So, you know, there's guys out there that, that – um, you know, you have your favorites, uh, just like anything else. So, you know, and I watch and, uh, you know, we talk once in a while and, uh, it, it's great to see, uh, people that, you know, are doing it the right way, be successful. Sure. I've heard you say, I think, you know, Joe Smith and Steve Francis, probably the most talented guys you ever coached. Who's the most talented that maybe, that maybe nobody knows, you know, due to, injury or, or discipline things just not working out for whatever reason does anybody stand out um from that perspective yeah there, there's a couple guys uh <clears throat> if you remember mike jones he was a mcdonald's all-american out of uh, mm-hmm. the boston area sure. and he had as good a jump shot as i ever coached i mean he could elevate and it was pure you know the form everything was there and he he had great range and he was sick and, you know a couple times and you know, just didn't achieve what he should have achieved, you know, and that really bothers you as a coach. Mike was great. The other guy, you know, just off the top of my head is Taj Holden. Taj was a big part of the championship team. He played behind Wilcox and uh, Lonnie Baxter inside for us. He was just great. In fact, you know, all the pictures at the end of the game, the national championship game, Taj is on the court. He was on the court quite a bit at the end of big games because we needed his foul shooting, um, you know, as a big man out there on the court. And Taj could do everything. He could pass. He knew the game. He could play defense. He could really shoot it. And, you know, he just, he had knee problems. He was a big guy, weighed like 260, 270. And I don't think his knees were ever 100%. And he played professionally in Europe for a couple of years. But I always thought he could have been a pro if he would have been completely healthy. Mm-hmm. You've had a, a couple of certainly tremendous honors, uh, you know, since you've retired, most of all being elected into not only the Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, but the actual Naismith uh, Hall of Fame, as well as having the uh, the court at Maryland renamed the Gary Williams Court. Um, 
you know, just how gratifying were those two, three things and, and some of the others you've had, uh, you know, just in terms of your coaching career, did it kind of just, uh, were they the icing on the cake? What do you take the most pride in from, uh, from your time in coaching? Well, those things are very gratifying and, you know, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I never started uh, with the idea anything like that would ever happen. And, um, I think, I think the thing I'm, I'm most proud of is, uh, when I came to Maryland at 89, uh, it was just three years after Len Bias had died. Mm-hmm. Um, there was problems within the team. We got hit with sanctions where we couldn't go to the NCAA for a couple of years. We couldn't play on live TV for a couple of years. You know, that really hurts your recruiting and things like that. And uh, in, I think, 1993, we won three ACC games. And in 94, we went to the Sweet 16. And we had to build the program. We, we, we had some help with guys like Walt Williams. And, you know, I had good assistant coaches and Billy Hahn and, you know, people like that. But at, at the same time, you know, we were playing against Duke and Carolina. It seemed like they were winning the national championship every year back then. And um, we had to really do a lot to get better and to improve the feeling of the administration about the men's basketball team because obviously it, it had – suffered you know because of what had happened so to get through that uh and basically to keep my job because people have short memories uh with coaches and mm-hmm. you know i look at frank martin's a good example he was in the uh at south carolina he was in the final four four years ago and you know the president just came out and said uh, we were going to stay with coach martin well you know that's nice of the president to do that but mm-hmm. at the same time frank did a lot for that school in basketball Absolutely. Um, you obviously, like you said, you, you left a pretty good job in Ohio State to, to come back to your alma mater, Maryland. I know how important that was to you. You know, obviously, we're starting to see, um, you know, Mike Woodson, obviously, at Indiana, Juwan go back to Michigan. You know, what do you think in terms of the trend, I guess, of a couple things? First, some NBA guys coming back to college, and then second, you know, certainly something you're very familiar with in terms of going back to coach at, uh, at your alma mater. Well, it's really interesting to see, you know, pro guys go back to college because in the pros, it's pure basketball, as, as you know, you know, and uh, basically you you can really focus on games. You can focus on what you have to do. And it's 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 basically a level playing field with free agency, uh, draft, uh, you know, things like that. So salary cap, uh, college basketball, you, you can outwork people. Um, I don't know if you if anybody can really tell you before you go back as a head coach in college that uh, how tough it's going to be in recruiting in worrying about a player at eleven o'clock at night. When, when you're in the NBA, you don't worry much about your players late at night. When you're in college, if that phone rings after ten o'clock, you worry because you never you know it's not going to be good news, and uh, that's that's the thing that you have to get used to. And some guys have been successful, like Howard at Michigan. Other guys haven't made it coming directly from the pros back to college because it's a different job than coaching in the pros. And um, it, it, it's a tough job. It's it's more time-consuming in college than it is at the pro level. And, um, you know, you're dealing with everybody's 18 to 22, not just a couple guys in your team like it is in the NBA. Sure. Last few last couple questions, then we'll get you out of here. I'll go one quick uh, rapid-fire one. Who is – Who's the, your favorite player that you've ever coached? I know it's hard to pick one, probably. But. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, that's that's. 
that's not fair. There's been so many good ones. Walt Williams really helped save the program when I got to Maryland. Uh, Graves Vasquez was, it's an incredible story. Uh, what he did with his life, you know, coming in uh, from Venezuela and Montrose Christian there. Um, so there's a lot, there's a, a lot of guys, you know, to watch Steve Blake uh, play as long as he did in the NBA and average, I think nine and a half points a game his senior year in, in college. And, you know, just see his determination and, and whatever to make it. Of course, Juan Dixon might be the greatest story to go from a, a guy who was um, who we were criticized in Maryland for signing him because he was too small to play in the ACC, become you know the MVP of the Final Four, national champions, all-time leading scorer, and in my mind, the greatest player ever to play in Maryland. I, I know he accomplished more than any other player in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, favorite part of the job. I know I've heard you say the practices before. Is that true? Did you really enjoy the practices even more than the games? Yeah, you, you because you, you're, you know, I started as a high school teacher. You're still teaching in practice. It's your class. You got 12, you have 12 people say. And in basketball, you coach everything. You don't have, a, at least I did, I don't have an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. You know, I wasn't coaching coaches. I, I was coaching players. And I, I really enjoyed uh, that part of the job. And you walked off the court every day after practice knowing whether you did a good job or not because you could tell whether you got better or you know, you did you just couldn't get it going that day in practice. You know, it was great. And then, you know, you miss the camaraderie, the locker room, you know, things people never see. Guy coming into your office next day, you might have yelled out of practice. And, you know, you're trying to get that guy ready to practice the next day. All, all, all those things are, are special that, uh, you know, you, you get to do as a head coach in basketball. Sure. Last question we'll finish on. I, I obviously have a, a lot of followers that are coaches trying to get into coaching, people all over the world, you know, trying to get into that profession. What would your advice be, I guess, one main piece of advice to a, to a young coach starting off today? Well, you, you need you need contacts for sure. You know, you got you have to get people, whether whether you're going to be a high school coach or a college coach or whatever, you know, you, you, you need to get as many people that you can pick up the phone and ask them to call for you or, or, or whatever. So you, you need all that. But the other thing is it's uh, you, you have to decide that, you know, a, a lot of guys sell themselves as, as uh, want to be assistant coaches at the college level by saying they can get this kid or get that kid to, you know, to come to your program. So that's great. But, um, you know, you're, you're welcome words out quickly that way. You want to be considered as an all-around coach. Obviously, if you're in college, you want to be able to recruit, but you also want to learn the game of basketball. You 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 want to really be able to help the head coach in terms of you know getting ready for practice or uh, upcoming games with scouting, looking video, things like that, and then knowing your players. You know you 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 can't be this guy that just shows up, doesn't do anything in practice, doesn't really care about practice, but is always thinking about that next recruit. You can't just do that if you want to eventually get to be a head coach and be a successful head coach. You have to know the game. You have to know what makes up, you know, a team and what's important to a team. Awesome, Coach. Really appreciate you joining me today. I know, I know, you're on the the DC Coaches Podcast, right? With with Ed Tapscott, Jimmy Patzos, a few others. Yeah, it's our American U reunion. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere else where uh, where people can come and find you? Anything else? Uh, the fans should come uh, come try to look for you at. Or? Uh, 
<laughs> I just do local radio, you know, that, that type of thing once in a while. But, uh, you know, um, the podcast is fun. Really enjoy that. Awesome. Well, Coach, thank you very much again. Really enjoyed our chat and, uh, and hope you're enjoying the golf game a little bit and appreciate you stopping by with us today. Brian, thank you and uh, good luck to you. I hope things uh, continue to go well. Appreciate it.